Are you well, Nell Hollywood? I am very good, Porrick Grimes. It's a lovely Monday afternoon, and I'm looking forward to getting a chat with you today about fitness myths. Any crack in your world before we get going? Uh, not a not a massive pile. It's, it's funny that this is the topic this week because it's something that I would rarely think about anymore. And the reason being, and the re- it's because whenever you're so heavily involved in fitness that you sort of start thinking, surely that people can't think that's true. And then yesterday, I had a I had a big team Hilly and Gracie meet up in Letterkenny. So all the Oma crew drove up to Letterkenny, and when we were we stopped in at the Apple Green and uh, got a coffee. We were there early, so we stopped in at the Apple Green about quarter past nine. And one of the boys bought a fucking tub of donuts, eh? a big box of donuts. And we were just discussing. I can see where this is going. I uh, well, no, it wasn't. It was those sorts of like conversations around eating, and obviously because they're aware that I'm within the, the fitness realm, I was looked upon for a, a nod to give permission and one of the boys was saying is there any truth behind that eating late in the evening makes a difference and it just brought me back to the the fact that just because it's common knowledge to me doesn't mean it's common knowledge to everybody else so i think that's as good a one to begin our myth busting as possible is there should you stop eating after 6 p.m. or 8 p.m. or whatever, whatever you're told? <clears throat> that's a good one because that's one of the ones that I had me. I meant to write these down, but they sort of just flipped in and out of my head anyway because you've dealt with them so many times over the years. Um, I'm just hoping we don't forget too many of them and maybe we'll come back to them at some other time if we don't cover them all. But I eating after 6 o'clock was one that I had in my sights. Um, and I've actually got a maybe a bit of a different opinion on this than maybe some people because... I suppose any PT worth their salt will tell you that, of course, it doesn't matter. If, of course, it doesn't matter if you eat after six o'clock. As long as it doesn't give you any digestional problems and you're up half the night with cramps in bed, then it doesn't matter. Like you're not going to get any heavier because you've had after six o'clock. Your body doesn't know that it's after six o'clock, and the calories going in at six thirty and five thirty are the same calories no matter about the time. Like, and any PT worth their salt will tell you that. And it's true, your body doesn't deal with calories differently at any time, particular time of the day. Um, but something that I've come to realize over, over years of doing this is maybe the foods that we eat after 6 p.m. aren't as helpful as the foods that we might eat pre-6 p.m. Um, so there is a wee caveat that I'll, I'll put to people in that, look, if you worked on a night shift, you'd have to eat in the middle of the night. So it doesn't matter what time you eat, as long as the overall number of calories that you consume in a day match your goals, whether that's weight loss or weight gain. Um, as long as your calorie intake over the day matches your goals. So if you want to eat, if you want to lose weight, you're going to eat slightly less calories. If you want to gain weight, gain muscle, you're going to eat slightly more calories. But when you eat them, it isn't going to matter as much as you think, and maybe not at all. But the caveat for me is, over years of doing this, and I suppose whatever, what I focus on, what we focus on now is behavioral change, because food is food. You're always going to eat food, but your behavior surrounding food are going to be the biggest telling factor in how well you do at anything. So if you pay attention to your behaviors, and if you sit down and you look at the spread of food throughout your day, and up until 6 p.m., most people can get away quite quite well and eat quite well up until 6 p.m., then something happens once dinner's over and the plates are washed and, and you're sitting on the sofa, maybe chilling out, watching a wee Netflix show. 
food starts to populate around you that maybe mightn't be so helpful anymore. So you might start grazing on things that are maybe excess calories, very low in nutritional value, very easy to graze a lot of, very easy to overeat an excess amount of calories. So it might be helpful to look at the types of foods that you're eating after 6 p.m. and see if you can do anything about that. It might mean pushing your dinner back a wee bit later so that you don't jump into the biscuit tin um, at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock. Um, but again, if your overall goals support the number of calories you're eating, you can still eat after 6 p.m., not a problem. Like, and you can still have them biscuits if you fit it into your nutritional needs. It just so happens that the types of food that we tend to eat after 6 p.m., aren't altogether helpful. So when somebody stops eating after six, they tend to cut out really unhelpful, high-calorie, highly uh, palatable foods that they tend to overeat. Um, and that's that's what I see anyway. You, you see any different? No, you've, you've articulated the whole thing quite beautifully there. It's, it is generally the... It's the... The signifying of the day's end, the cup of tea and the biscuits and the, the ah, that feeling, that hedonic response till... Uh, the, the the beginning of your nighttime ritual, your start mm-hmm. till bed, really, and it could happen at whatever time. But it, as you say, it's post dinner, relax, kettle on, big share bag of Maltesers, no one to share them with. <laughs> that's that's the the way it goes, and that is sort of we we did a workshop last Wednesday there and raising awareness around patterns like that that are important, like the pattern of of sort of decompressing at night, it is important. But if it begins with something that's counterproductive and counterintuitive to your larger, your your grander goals, then something has to be done about it. So yes, the, the bottom line is that calories aren't distinguished by the time. Timing's very, very low on the priority list, quality and nutrition and nutritional density of the calories that's the important thing of the food that you're eating so yeah take a look at what you're eating after 6 p.m or 8 p.m and think could that be better and i'm only reading really eating this because it's a habit that i've grown into and is it a pattern that i'm following and see can you adjust them in any shape or form i think the basis of all these myths that we'll talk about they're probably easily debunked on the front end but they exist because there's a bit of truth on the back end I think that's what you were sort of getting at last week. So what what else do you have up your sleeve? I I just want to add one wee more thing to the end, like a sort of wee helpful tip for people if they are struggling uh, with maybe unhelpful eating after 6 p.m. Something that I recommend to people is to to not have any of your trigger foods in your house. Try and make your house a safe space for you if if that's problematic for you. If you find that there are foods in your house all the time that you struggle to stop eating once you start, then don't have them things in your house. Allow yourself to eat them wherever the hell else you want, but in your house behind closed doors where there's nobody there to watch you and maybe keep an eye on you, maybe just limit the amount of that food that you have in your house. Have food that you enjoy in your home and that spurs you on and even food that isn't helpful but tasty, but something that you know that you can stop and you have control around. Trigger foods aren't something that you should have in your house because you have to have a hell of a lot of uh, self-determination, willpower um, and self-control to keep saying no to that all day every day and why make yourself go through that that daily turmoil don't exactly. buy Nutella don't buy it don't buy it no galaxies <laughs> nothing that you can't say no to that's, that's it. it you can have that like, like I always make the joke people always ask me if I drink coffee because I'm a personal trainer and I make the joke that I have a, a bi-yearly 
um, latte. So I have two lattes in a year and I'll have a wee caramel square with it. There's the big man behind you, Conzo. Con's tipping in, trying to earwig here. This is his, this is actually his topic. It was him that brought this up. He used to be a brutal man for tea and biscuits and he's mm-hmm. not in the head. I well, it's, it's, it's that's it. Don't have trigger foods around the house. Allow yourself them any, anywhere else. And like, I don't keep cake in the house because I would not be in my current job if I had cake in my house all the time. I would not be setting a good example. Um, so I just don't have it in the house and I eat it out with friends or wherever. Or if I'm out for the birthday party, I'll have a piece of cake. But I know I'm not going to make a, an Egypt of myself, but I will at the house. I keep making cups of tea until that bad boy's gone. Uh, and, and that's just a trigger food. And I have to own that and accept that and say, right. I'm just not going to fucking put myself through it. I'm just not going to have cake in the house all the time and make it pig of myself. But um, one of the ones that came up uh, today, actually, I was asking people about it, was about weight training making you bulky, and especially with the female population and some of the trepidation that can be attached to starting a weight training regime or lifting the heavier weights or thinking, right, there's the dumbbell you've been lifting for that chest press for the last three weeks. You could definitely do more than that, but afraid to make that leap to the next step, the next dumbbell, in case overnight they turn into Miss Universe or Mr. Universe, as as people are, are more want to imagine. So what's your opinions on suddenly becoming very bulky if you start a weight training regime? It's funny because this is a commonly, there is that sort of trepidation, as you say, of I don't know if I want to lift that, that big weight in case all of a sudden become massive and my retort to that is i've been lifting weights on a on a fairly regular basis for the last 15 years <laughs> and i'm still waiting to wake up one night or come up the next morning hulk togan out of it i know i've often said to them go on try it anyway and if it works for you i'm gonna i'm gonna come be right behind you like i'll be right behind you uh, muscle gain is a slow process and it's just because that bell curve it, you know if you've not lifted before then initially you'll get a, a fairly quick response and notice things quicker than you would otherwise. But then, and trust me, it slows down. You, <laughs> you will have to work very hard, very, very hard to get big, as big as you fear you may become. Like yeah. I was lucky enough to have a girl who did a bit of bodybuilding in, this is a couple of years back, to speak, speak to the girls and just on that topic, and she was like, do you know how much I have to train? You know how much I have to, the work I have to do to get in this shape? And I'm, like, I can't even get on the podium. I'm just doing this because it's something that I love and I've got a little bit obsessed by. And she, and it, it reassured the rest of the girls that their two training sessions a week, it'll help them, yeah, get in the better shape than they're currently in, but it'll not be it'll not be bursting them out of their, their genes because they've developed quadzillas. <laughs> and here's here's the thing, right? When you when we look at why 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 are we lifting weights with why are we getting used to lift weights in the first place? Well first of all there is no downside to becoming a stronger version of yourself, physically stronger. Physically stronger will, will equate to oftentimes being becoming mentally stronger because you're overcoming things you didn't think were possible in the gym and then outside of the gym. The amount of times I've had people come to me and say, I lifted this, that, or the other. And it's not nothing to do with the gym. I lifted this, that, or the other outside of the gym, and everybody was amazed. I lifted this roll of carpet. I, I had a woman last last week tell me that she was able to lift a roll of carpet that the guy in the shop was struggling to drag through the door. She hopped it up on her shoulder, and Class. she felt as proud as punch, and she giggled in the car when she was done. And like 
there is no well, there's a, there's a saying doing the rounds on social media one time there's no weakness and strength like I, I love that like there's when you get stronger when your pursuit is to get stronger there's no downside to that and the frequency with which you'll have to train and eat to become big and that's the fear is that strength will equate to largeness bigness because yeah, every yeah. woman in the country seems to want to minimize themselves they want to shrink and they want to vanish and get thinner and this word thin is still on people's list See, and there's, there's a thing with with people especially who's only starting to lift weights and maybe that their original goal is fat loss and once you begin to work muscle groups which you haven't worked before those muscle groups will learn to adapt to that by retaining fuel and that fuel is just it's just it's glycogen in the muscle but it's across the body it's got to be a couple of pounds in the scales and they're like why am i putting weight on when i'm lifting now and that's it and it's the fucking scales is messing with their heads but they're not you know two months down the line and they've lost two inches around their waist and an inch on their legs and but the weight's still the same it's it does mess with their heads a little bit and i think that's a lot of the time where this idea of i'm why am i putting weight on comes from I and like I suppose some of the fault lies at certain groups that weigh people every week and have uh, ready meals in the shops, and they focus on weight only. They don't look at body composition. They don't look at your what is your body composed of. Is that so, a is that a very subtle shot at Weight Watchers and Slim Wars and all? Is that a pop pal? I, I like there are hundred listeners or many we <laughs> Like if you're out any years are going weekly, ask them did I gain muscle or body fat this week? Ask them that. And if they can't tell you, why the fuck are they weighing you? Like, why are they weighing? If you're in the gym slog and you're wee heart out, lifting weights, and they're telling you, you you've gained a pound there, Susie. Whatever you're doing, you need to stop it. Get on to them curly whirlies again, because they'll help you. No sense. Like, no sense. But here's the thing. You can't tone body fat. But you can tone, and I'm making air quotes, muscle. When people talk about becoming more toned, it's muscle they're talking about. If you don't lift weights, nothing's happening with your muscle. All right? It's not happening. So if you do lose a pile of weight, there's nothing there underneath. It's supporting that there. It's not a good look for everybody. You want to make sure that whenever you do lose your body fat, that there's something under there that you can say, I did that. I worked for that. And I worked my fucking ass off to get it. Don't worry about getting big. You're going to have to do a lot of work that you're not ready to do to get big it's not going to happen it's not happening for us too it doesn't happen <laughs> for the majority of the population um you're safe you're safe don't worry get into the gym lift some weights become a tank on the on the on the fat loss and the the, the scales there another myth then mm. that needs spoke about eating fat makes you fat and that that whole thing yeah ah well it sounds right doesn't it like if you listen to it you think if you eat fat, you get fat. And oftentimes when people eat high-fat foods, they put on weight and think, oh, Jesus, I, that fat, bad, bad bugger, that their stuff, stay away from it. Zero fat diets from now on. That's everybody should be on zero fat diets. Um, but no, unfortunately, it's not as simple as that, is it? It's always and, and always and ever, ever will be until we know anything different, which I don't think we will. Um calories in versus calories out so if your calories in exceed the calories that are out then you will put on weight just so happens that fat the macronutrient of fat has 
is it nine calories per gram? It's a long time since I did my homework again, but it, it's nine is it is gram. nine calories per gram. So it's got just over twice as much calories per gram mm-hmm. as as carbohydrates and proteins. But yeah. it's also a lot less dense. You know, like a hundred grams, a <laughs> hundred grams of fucking cooking oil, like versus a hundred grams of, or sorry, a lot more dense than of like lettuce or something. Yeah, the, the volume of there, the volume's significantly different, and it's just appreciating that there's massive health benefits to having healthy fats in your diet, but not so much the the processed bad stuff that. You know the 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 buns and the cakes are are filled with as you, tasty you, as they need. They're not just giving you much. Cake. You leave my cakes out of your dirty mouth. <laughs> you leave them out of my your dirty mouth. You just leave them in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're full of the, the the stuff that's tasty, but maybe not so good for you. But no, that and you can stretch this on till the demonization of carbs as well. You know, there was a there's a massive anti carb movement. And it seems to come come around every now and again, and it's the same as fats. No fats, uh, no carbs, uh, right? Just just lettuce and water. Unfortunately, not. You need a broad, rounded, colorful plate of stuff to make sure you're ticking all the boxes of all your nutrients. And again, just educate yourself a little bit more on on what that plate contains, calorie wise, and you'll find that you can you can eat the best and feel full and still not miss out on anything as long as you do it a wee bit smarter absolutely anytime i get someone to add like some of the first things that i get people to do when they're trying to i add more to their diet rather than take away to their diet i add more protein i ask them to eat some more vegetables and fruits i ask them to drink more water i ask them to if they're not eating at least three times a day to try and get three meals if not four feedings per day and i'm i'm just i'm I'm trying to get them to inject more goodness into their diet so that the badness, and I hate using the words good and bad, but we know we all speak the same words. So um, people understand what I'm talking about when I say good or bad. I mean, health promoting and health maybe uh, deficient or nutrient deficient foods. But um, adding more goodness into your diet, you will feel full a lot more of the time. You will not be snacking as a result of hunger anyway. You might be snacking as a result of boredom or uh, whatever it is, emotional eating, but you're not going to be snacking as a result of hunger. And that's a big thing when anybody's trying to lose body fat. And it is mostly people who are losing, trying to lose body fat who are concerned with these myths. Um, it's mostly going to be, if you're filled up and you're not thinking about food, well then there's the clue. You're not thinking about food anymore. You're, you're just baiting on about your day. You're being productive. You're getting things done. And then whenever you're trying to maybe, say you you follow the latest fad diet whatever it is you're trying to skimp on food you're never satisfied with any meal that you've had because you're hungry you're trying to skimp on calories maybe you're trying to cut out a complete macronutrient altogether so you're nutrient deficient in one macronutrient so your body's crying out for that and it's telling you to go and eat something um and you're just thinking about food all the time and you're going to end up grazing more and overall taking in far more calories than you ever intended to so if anybody ever tells you that one single micronutrient, that taking that out of your diet or, or whatever, that will help you get your goal, they're probably trying to sell you something. Look for the sales pitch and look for the link. And then just, just there's, a, there's a great saying, I used it this morning with somebody, Michael Pollan, who wrote a few good books, um, none of which titles are coming to my mind, but they're good anyway. Um, he, has a, he has a saying about food or a sentence, 
And it's essentially everything you'll ever need to know about your diet. If you extrapolate from this sentence is eat food, mostly plants, not too much. So first part of it is eat food. It means re- eat real food. Try and eat mostly unprocessed, minimally processed foods, organic, whatever you want to call it, natural foods, um, mostly plants. So a large range of plants. So uh, your vegetables, your your uh, your fruits, not all plants. You have to eat some meat too. An omnivorous, an omnivorous diet is the healthiest diet for a human being. And then not so much. Portion control. Don't overdo it. Don't go too far. Like, you know, when you've gone too far, don't do that. Stop it. That's in essence, that's a healthy diet. And that you can't argue with that. There's no rule there that says you have to eat X, Y, and Z. Just follow that and you'll be yeah. all right. Some people struggle though with that, that autonomy, you know, absolutely. It's, um, and that's, that's the challenge I suppose as coaches that we face to give them the, the frameworks that make it easier to still have autonomy, but not get your hand held the whole Prince- way through the process. You need principles and guidelines and, and and tips and tricks to make it work for you. Like it, most of the time, what our job is is to help people navigate the things that they weren't able to do on their own. Like they they know what they need to do. It's just why was I not able to do this before? So you're trying to get them to a stage yeah. where they believe they can do it. They have the tactics in order to be able to do it, and then get them to a stage where they can do it without any further help, and they can do it on their own. Good coaches are sat nav, not a driver. Absolutely. Clients, the driver, we're just in the background telling them what road to take. Here, I've got another one for you. No pain, no gain. Uh, you know that doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> and Your face dropped when I said it, I think. It, it, uh, it's something that you hear in the gym floor at least once a week. And is as many, as much as I've sort of stopped cracking it, you know, because people. F- it's, it's a way for them to justify their effort. And I know, and you know the same, sometimes it's nice to feel a wee bit of pain the next day. I I feel a lot of pain today. We had a, we had a tough session. It was very enjoyable, but it was an hour and a half of a, a right slog of, of sparring yesterday. And I'm sore. I got sore as the day went on yesterday. And there's an element of truth, like everything we've just said, there's an element of truth behind that sentiment. No pain, no gain. Pain that you're feeling is showing, is your body showing you that you put the work in. But it's not a reason for a coach, a fitness instructor, a personal trainer to absolutely crucify you that you can't walk, you can't get up with the toilet, you can't, you know, you'll take a lift instead of the stairs because you literally cannot step up or down them. That's where the bugbear is. And I'm sure it's the same for you. Aye, it's uh, like I use. I often say we, we're not chasing the pain. It is a natural byproduct as a result of what we're doing sometimes, but you're not chasing pain. I think sometimes people use that as a litmus test of a good session. If I'm not buckled and I'm not blowing out my arse when I'm leaving this room, I don't think I've had a good session. And that comes from lazy coaching too. It comes from lazy organizations just thinking that if I put these people through the floor and they leave here with double vision ready to pass out and poke out the front, then I've done my job and they'll not know any different that I haven't been able to program a good session for them, that I've just packed as much cardio in there as possible so that they're leaving here with their lungs hanging out of their ears. If if it was just, there's a book, a fitness book about it's not all about making them sweat. And I think that's that, that's, uh, that's a, a key sentiment. It, it's not all about making you sweat. It's about 
the you're trying to get an adaptation you're trying to get the muscles to adapt you're trying to get the human body to adapt to a point where it can overcome the next stimulus that you present to it so you present it with a stimulus it goes away and says right that was tight going we've broken down now now we're going to build up again and the next time i tackle that challenge i'm going to be able to do it and it does that and then you raise the bar slightly. So you put I'm going to hijack your word there. A phrase that I love is stimulate, not annihilate. Oh, yes. And that's, that's the, the ticket. That's the bottom line. Our job as coaches, be it in programming the sessions or leading the sessions, is for you to stimulate your muscles or your, your heart or your lungs to adapt to the challenge, not completely fucking bury them at the, the can't. They're, you're crawling out of the gym. And here, I'll hold my hands up. Whenever I was in the infancy of my my coaching work, I used to think that my job was to just rack people here. Absolutely. And I was, I, we all start out the same way. I just think the, the sooner you get in and you get that wee phase out of your system as a coach, especially, it's harder for members and clients to get that out of their head because if they bounce around from gym to gym, and a lot of places out there do sessions like that where it's just a beasting session. And there's a market for it because people think that's what they need. And people think that's they, and that's why this myth is this is probably one of the strongest myths out there that, that still pertains to this day, where people think they just need to be slammed into the ground and they just think they they go through maybe a, a weight training session and they be like, oh, that was good, that was good. Thought it'd be harder. And then you ask them the next day, well, could you feel it the next day? Like, and they go, oh, I felt muscles that I never knew I even had. I was like, that's what we're looking for. That's your muscles are responding. Now they're going to go away and grow, providing you give them the rest and the recovery that they need. They're going not to too big, though. Not too big. Nope, not too bad. I say grow, <laughs> a minuscule growth, minuscule. Um, I'm using my own growth as, a, as an example of minuscule growth. But I, no pain, no gain. If it's uh, if that's spray painted on the wall of the gym that you go to, ask for your money back. Come join uh, Source or Level Up because oh, there'll be somebody will be a member of a gym that has that. Somewhere. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and they, I like there's there's ones like sweat is just my fat crying, and I, when I work out, I wear black because it's a funeral for my fat. Like all these wee cliches, like they they they're semi motivating because they're thinking, yeah, that's me. I'm taking control, but train smart, not uh, well. You train smart and hard, like, but train smarter. <laughs> like that's that's the main thing. Like don't don't leave intensity at the door, but Jesus Christ, don't buckle yourself. Longevity is the key to the game here. Yeah, that's four good ones. Do you have any other ones, or John? John, a question? Nah, I go for a, oh fuck, I have a question. I have a question for you actually. Go on, give me your question instead. How much do you think someone can change their personality? Oh, this pertains to something we were talking about, Kenya, doesn't it? With the mindset. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Those were noises. Those are the noises I make when I'm thinking. (laughs) How much do I think someone can change their personality? That's a tough one. Um, personality is, for me, something that develops over time and it's it grows like a plant. Your personality grows. There's a plant in front of me. That's why I said that. Um, but it does, I think your personality grows. You develop your personality as a result maybe of your your upbringing, your, your, the, maybe the way you were parented, maybe your, your surroundings when you were growing up. So... There are definitely going to be people who can't control their personality and they're 
whatever the personality is, it just it's there, it's out there, it's in your face, and that's them unapologetically. And I probably envy those people because they're just being a hundred percent themselves. And then there are people who can maybe change their personality to suit the circumstance that they're in. So they can maybe dish up a version of themselves that is more palatable for the for the company that they're present in. But I think if your personality is something that you want to change, I think then ultimately I think you can. I think that the way you behave and your your output into the world is always something that you can control and behave. Um I don't know. I, I suppose if personality, if your personality is the thing that you listen to on the inside as well, if you count that as your personality or is your personality just the outward expression of that, what do you oh, see? I, th- I think your personality is the essence of who you are. You could label it as any number of things. It could be your your soul, your energy, your vibe, whatever you want. And that, I think whenever you look at it maybe on a deeper level, it, it does sort of beg the question as to how much of who you are can change because there's probably elements which are are set in stone you know there'd be i heard a good phrase on this and it wasn't just on personality but it was on on health in general that your your outcomes your predisposed outcomes but not predetermined ones so you may be more susceptible to gain a weight but that doesn't mean you gain weight because you still make the choices. You yeah. may be more adapt at uh, speaking in public, but that doesn't mean that you will be a good public speaker if you don't pursue that skill set. So I think personality and you know, your sort of yourself as a person can change, but it takes a lot of effort, a lot of conscious effort. And there may be a ceiling on how much you can change certain elements of yourself. And then that'll come back to you accepting that. Cause if you're like, if you're on one end, cause there's sort of, I suppose there's spectrums, say introvertedness and extrovertedness and open-mindedness and closed-mindedness, conscientiousness, that those sorts of things. Like you, everyone will be on that spectrum somewhere. And if you're toward the low end or the high end on one, being able to come back into the middle could be more challenging than it would for someone who starts in the middle to get to either side. So I think we've used this 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 phrase before as well, like genetic genetics load the barrel and lifestyle pulls the trigger. I think that's that's sort of where my thought process is on it. You can pull the trigger with the actions, the behaviors, the stories you tell yourself, but there's only so much you can do because ultimately you are who you are and you work the way you work to an extent. Yeah. I like that. Uh, whatever you said about predisposed and predetermined, I don't remember exactly what you said, but it was, pre- I like that because I would find that in my own life that I'm predisposed to react a certain way, but that doesn't mean I always want to react that way. And I don't, it doesn't mean I always end up following through in that style, it may, I might check myself in my head and say, really, is that the way you want to show up in this situation or do you want to be try and be a wee bit better now or do you want to try and be a wee bit more the type of person that you want to be? So you, you check yourself and it's not about beating yourself up and saying, well, I wish I would stop doing that. It's maybe examining why that that's your predisposition 
what is making you predisposed to making that first leap. Mark, I think I mentioned this in a podcast one time, but Mark Teg um, gave me a wee coin one time, and it was there was an R on one, both sides, and there were both. I think it was one side was blue and one side's white, and one side has react, and the other side has respond. And it was just all about, I think you give everybody on the team one, and it was all about becoming more responsive to things and situations in life as opposed to being as opposed to being more reactive. So instead of reacting to things, take a moment and respond to them as opposed to just being in the moment and being maybe making a poor judgment call just because you're reactive. And I thought that was cool. And that sort of speaks to the thing you're talking about, but being, you might be predisposed to react. But if you give yourself that wee bit of, buffer in time and if you can take a couple of deep breaths you might just be able to respond better than you would have reacted um i like that i've always liked that i keep that we coin beside the bed mark if you're listening cheers for that thanks man um, so there's hope for us all but you have to just consciously make the effort to work on it and then accept that there's there's ceilings on where you can go and what you can do but that isn't that isn't that kind of a metaphor for life well, I suppose fair. Everything like there's yeah. like you, there's there's I don't know the ceilings maybe I maybe but how are you gonna know where you get there? Like if you unless you keep trying and keep going and, and like have that growth mindset and think, well, sure, what's what's the harm in trying to improve? And this is well, we talked about this in another podcast about self improvement. Sure, what's the harm in trying? Like as long as you're not beating yourself into the ground, berating yourself all the time, and just say, well. I could probably do to get a wee bit better at something and try it, see what happens. I agree. I always like to have the last word. You fucking try and get in there, don't you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. I'm gonna. I mine is a fairly lighthearted question that uh, this week. Do you have, or have you had in the past that's got you into a bit of bother, an unpopular opinion that you don't mind sharing with our visitors? Or unpopular less? opinions. An unpopular well, opinion. Or there's or several of them. Uh, well, oh, there's a a Twitter poll running at the minute on the TV shows, and I know we talk about TV shows quite a lot, but I have a couple of unpopular opinions on TV shows, and I hope I hope it annoys you. <laughs> I think well, I'll try my best to respond and not react. Well, good man, <laughs> practicing <laughs> what you preach. I think that. The Wire is very good, but not great. I think that Breaking Bad, again, is very good, but not great. These shows are put on pedestals, as, and you're sort of ridiculed if you don't adore them. The Sopranos, another one. It's good, but I'm not dying about it. So there's three of the, the so-called best television shows of all time. And you reckon they're overrated? I'm, I'm, I, I think they're overrated, I now I, I did enjoy I did enjoy Breaking Bad. I did enjoy The Wire. And The Sopranos is good. I can see the I can see why they're popular, but just for me, a bit overrated. A bit overrated, you know. Well, I agree. Well, I haven't seen The Wire, but it is one of those ones that gets touted all the time as one of the best shows ever made. And I I like I, I agree with that. I like, like I don't agree with maybe them shows in particular, but I think there are definitely things out there that are overrated and they're like, I always get this with Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning films. I'm looking at that thing and I'm like, what the frig's a big hustle about there or a big, a big fuss about there? I don't, I either don't get it or I don't like it. And the summer blockbuster is far right up my street. Like, like I like some weird films too, but 
overrated movies and TV shows. I'm with you there. Like in Breaking Bad, I loved it when I was watching it, but I can't remember. I couldn't tell you what happened. Don't know. Sopranos, I'm gonna have to do a hard no. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. And it's not about a cool thing because I, I I normally go against the grain with things I guess, and I don't watch them until everybody else has forgotten about it, and then I come back to it and watch it, and then if I like it, I'll be like, I'll all right, I'm on the bandwagon. But Sopranos, I did love it now. I think it's about the way it makes you feel. It kind of makes you feel like you're a gangster when you're watching. <laughs> Tony's yeah, you are a gangster. That's why you like it. My unpopular opinion, I'll give you another minute to think of another one if you want, is ironing clothes is completely fucking unnecessary and it's a pointless chore you shouldn't have to do. We should, as a society, just accept that when clothes go into a cupboard, they will come out wrinkled. You do not have to iron them. We will just accept that wrinkles on clothes are a part of life. Do not waste your fucking life ironing clothes. Can we agree on that? I I wholeheartedly agree. I detest ironing. I burn everything I iron. I know there's settings on that thing, but they don't seem to work whenever I tackle them. And poor Shannon, I ask her to iron the trousers I wear to work and the t-shirt I wear to work on a Sunday. And I know it breaks her heart, but I know if I take at them with an iron, then things are going to be stuck to the iron within three seconds. And it's I pointless. hold my hands up like hand is all the iron in our house. And I volunteered to do it one time to take that off her plate. But it's just... I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. I couldn't work out how to iron things. It and takes it just... so long for me to iron one item of clothing that I, I Shannon's nearly halfway through a basket, and I'm sitting there trying to fold a shirt in a particular way so that it won't wrinkle on the other side when I'm right, right, rink, or ironing the front side. It's pointless. It's stupid. Let's get rid of it. I start a petition now to talk to Liz Truss, to talk to Joe Biden, and to talk to the Pope and whoever else, the new king, um, get the ironing out out with ironing out with ironing yeah here I don't know if that'll be too unpopular I think that'll be a, a... I think yeah, the only place it's going to be unpopular is in my house with, with my wife <laughs> because like you can't send the kids to school with the all ironed uniform yeah. I just send you them know, on I think we could probably stretch out a full episode on unpopular opinions go for it do you want to do that I, I do have one more topic or a question that we got sent last week then it was on guilt and i thought that was a good topic that we could probably expand but we'll we'll try and think of a few unpopular opinions between now and next week and whatever we come up if we if we can come up with three each we'll run it and if not we'll we'll have a rattle of guilt we'll, we'll just feel guilty and run with guilt yeah <laughs> that's good though and just if anybody's made it this far and you're a new listener go on back to the start you'll enjoy them if you enjoy that you'll enjoy the ones at the start some good yarns. Right. That'll do us. Good luck.